invite the children, ages four through fifth grade, to go downstairs for children's church. And the rest of you, if you want to turn in your Bible to Micah 6, that's where we're going to be rooted and grounded today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we've felt your Holy Spirit moving powerfully already in our worship. And we invite your Holy Spirit now to open our ears wide open so that we might hear you. Open our eyes so that we might see you. And open our hearts so we might receive you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, earlier this week, I sent a note to Elvin Crable and uh, asked him if he could bring a gavel to church. Because I was going to bang on the pulpit with a gavel, but unfortunately, uh, he didn't have one. Maybe fortunately for you folks. Because in Micah 6.8 today, what we have is a trial that is happening. A trial 2,700 years ago. The plaintiff is Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. The defendant, the people of Israel. Did you notice in verse 2, who are the witnesses? (laughs) Interesting, the mountains and the hills... They've all been around a long time. They know the way things are. In other words, all of creation. And what is the charge? The people of Israel have repeatedly and flagrantly broken their covenant relationship with God. This trial unfolds right after the prophet Micah and his people have just experienced a catastrophe of 9-11 proportions. The fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BCE. The people have all been deported from the northern kingdom of Israel and taken away and... These, by the way, are the ten lost tribes of Israel that disappear completely from history. The southern kingdom in the south, which includes Jerusalem and the hometown of Micah, have been able to hold off the Roman or the Assyrian Empire so far by paying huge tributes and offering worship to the gods of Assyria. And in today's trial, Micah is trying to make sense of all these catastrophic events. And at a deeper level, he's wondering, can my people still be rescued? Is it possible for us to be saved? And in this covenant lawsuit today, 
God takes the stand first. Verse 2, the Lord has a controversy with God's people. And then in verses 3, 4, and 5, we hear God's broken-hearted testimony. Oh, my beloved people. Oh, my beloved people, what have I done to wrong you? How have I wearied you? Didn't I hear your cry of agony when, when you were in faraway Egypt? And didn't I bring you out of your house of slavery with a mighty hand? And then at your time of greatest need, didn't I send you Moses and Miriam and Aaron to send you out on your exodus? And then up on on Mount Sinai, do you remember that? Didn't I give you commandments to show you how to keep living as free people? And up there on that mountain, didn't I make a, command, or a covenant with you? Didn't I promise to be your people? And didn't you promise? Didn't I promise to be your God? And didn't you promise to be my people? Showing my justice and my shalom and my mercy to the whole wide world? And have you forgotten about how King Balak wanted to curse you and how I had Balaam, with a little help from his donkey, turn that into a blessing instead? How I brought you from Shittim to Gilgal across the Jordan River into the Promised Land? How come... You have all this amnesia, this amnesia, this ingratitude for all of my saving acts. Tell me, above all, have you forgotten me? Then there's a hush in the courtroom as God now slowly leaves the stand. And then in verse 6, Judah now comes forward to represent God's people. And surprisingly, Judah immediately begins to negotiate a plea bargain, cop a plea, in effect acknowledging that everything that God has said up to now, it's true. It's true. But the fascinating thing is now that all of Judah's questions reveal how his people continue to completely misunderstand their relationship with God. What will it take, Judah says, to buy God's favor? How about the usual offering of a yearling calf? Not good enough? Well, How about if we sacrifice a few thousand rams? Still not good enough? How about 10,000 rivers of oil? Still not good enough? How about the ultimate sacrifice, our firstborn? Just like the sacrifice of our Canaanite neighbors. You see, what's going on here is that God has made a covenant 
with God's people, entered into a deep relationship here of shared mission, shared love, mutuality. But Judah is still thinking only contract. Contract. Just like we often do as well. What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? In a contract, I say, I will do A as long as you do B. And when you stop doing B, I'm gone. In contrast, in a covenant, we are both mutually committed to this relationship, come what may. Jesus later says that everyone is focused on counting out seeds of dill instead of being a community of God's justice and mercy and faith. We're still asking, how can we just get by with God? Just do enough. Minimal requirements. Instead of asking how can we creatively join and participate in what God is doing in this big world. Earlier chapters in Micah have already cataloged all the incriminating evidence against God's people. It's a long list. Chapter 3, or chapter 2, the wealthy are cruelly exploiting the poor and the vulnerable. Chapter 3, the priests and the pastors are grossly abusing their power. Chapter 5, leaders are pursuing idolatry and chariots, which means militarism. The defense clearly has no case. So now we're at a turning point. What's going to happen? How will God respond with terrible judgment, punishment, and abandonment? Well, it's now that a voice rises up in the courtroom and says these beautiful words, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? God now responds, not with crushing condemnation, but with a call to renew their covenant relationship. Not more tithing, not more elaborate ritual. God wants relationship, wants loving devotion from God's people. God wants them to act and to love and to walk like God's people that they are. In fact, the word here in Hebrew for God, what does God require, has a deeper meaning of what does God yearn for. And these are the things that God yearns for in us as well. And what a beautiful triad 
of covenantal living we are given here. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And let's look at each one of these briefly and bring in some stories from our everyday lives here. First of all, do justice. Act justly. The Hebrew word here is mishpat. How about if we say that? Mishpat. Now in our world, justice typically means asking the question, what do people deserve? What kind of punishment do they deserve for their sins and their mistakes? But biblical justice, God's justice is different. God's justice asks, what do people need? What do people need? And we saw this most beautifully illustrated last month after Molly's pub was burglarized by a young man, and you can see it on video. It's quite gripping video. He walks by Molly's pub, looks in the window, sees some things he wants, picks up a potted plant, and breaks through the window. The only sad part about this is this is all recorded from around four different angles. You can see exactly who it is. A young man in his early 20s. Now this is where things get interesting. You see, God's kingdom is far vaster than just our church. And we always have to be on the lookout for where God's kingdom is happening even down street in a pub. That owner goes on the internet and he says, here's the video. Shows it to everybody. And he says, I have two requests. Requirements, in fact. I want this young man to come forward and to pay restitution for everything that's been broken and lost. And I also want him to make right for what he has done. I think what he means is apology. And in return, this owner, his name is Anthony Maglietta, promises to do everything in his power, everything in his power, to make sure that this experience doesn't punish this young man for the rest of his life. And that's exactly what happens. Anthony Maglietta doesn't ask, what does this man deserve? He asks, what does this young man need most? That's biblical justice. You see, justice in the Bible is fundamentally concerned about setting things right, restoring broken relationships, and giving everybody involved, everybody involved, a future with hope. And because of this, justice shares God's special concern for the orphan and the widow and the alien in our country and in this world. Why? Because, not because they're better than the wealthy, but because they don't usually have 
what they need. Now here's where things get really interesting and demanding. Biblical justice might even lead Mr. Maglietta someday, who knows, led by the Spirit to become his mentor, to find him a good job, maybe to pay for the education that he needs. This is the beauty of God's justice. All right, the second part of the triad. Love, kindness. Now, folks, we get into an even bigger translation pickle. Because the word here in Hebrew, as you can see, is chesed. We've uh, practiced that word before, but let's practice it together. You have to clear your throat. Chesed. Chesed. All right, you're getting fluent there. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and chesed shall follow you all the days of your life. Psalm 136, repeated 26 times, God's steadfast love, God's chesed endures forever. Do you see the problem? Kindness doesn't quite get at the wideness of God's mercy, does it? It's a good beginning, but one commentator says it's disastrously weak. I love that. And so what do we have to do? We have to pile on word after word after word so that we can finally get to the full splendor and polyvalent meaning of this word, chesed. Chesed is love. Love that is faithful. Love that is merciful. Love that is gracious. Love that is tenacious. Love that never quits. That's chesed. That's God's love. And Jesus, by the way, is God's chesed walking. Now, scholars tell us that the most faithful translation for chesed, though hardly poetic, is covenant loyalty. Covenant faithfulness. Covenant devotion. Love that. You see, in the Bible and in Jesus... We meet a God whose fundamental orientation toward us is one of covenantal love. And who calls us to live the same way back in return. I will be your God and you will be my people, East Chestnut. At its core, A covenant is not a commitment to a set of minimal requirements, but devotion to an enduring relationship with God. That's chesed. That's God's chesed. 
And what does this chesed look like in a church when it's actually lived out? Well, I've been hearing some wonderful stories here at East Chestnut, and I remember some wonderful stories from the church where I was in Chicago about folks who said this. I haven't always agreed with every decision that's made in this church. But this is my faith family. This is my faith family. And I'm committed to it, come what may. Ever said that? Look at our landscape of church division and wreckage. What if we had this kind of covenantal love? Imagine the witness to the world. The third part of our triad is the best one. Walk humbly with your God. Here is God's invitation to all of us to an interactive partnership of shared mission, love, and mutuality. It is an invitation to the with God life. The with God life modeled for us most beautifully by Jesus Christ. And this with God life is endlessly dynamic and creative. This past week, for example, Rose Stewart, Rose Stewart, contacted me and shared her prompting from the Holy Spirit that we should sing a bunch of hymns for Paul Hostler. I took that request to Paul and had the great privilege of sitting there as he paged through the hymnal, choosing his favorite hymns of praise for us to sing together. And then this morning, we got to sing them together. What an experience. What an awesome experience. And later this will be shared with him by CD. Now what does it mean to walk humbly here? The best definition I've ever heard for humility is being 100% truthful. 100% truthful. God is the giver of everything we have. So can any of us really take credit for what we did for Paul this morning? Can Rose? Can I? Can you? No. All we can do is praise God and rejoice that we have been able to participate in this beautiful God event together. Together. So dear friends, dear chestnutters, found out at the retreat, that's what we call ourselves. What does God require of us? What does God yearn for? 
for our community this coming year. For us to be a covenantal community working for justice and what our neighbors need most. Devoted to our relational commitments, come what may, in walking humbly with God in creative partnership and ever-deepening love. Amen.